In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success and who to find it? That's the big question. Is it measurable? Can you obtain it? Can you dream it? Can you hold it? I'm on a quest to redefine how we view success, and I'd like to bring you on this journey. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. This is episode number 17. My name is Tony Grubmeyer, and these are the real stories behind success. Now, if money wasn't the answer, what would it be? We're going to find that out and so much more today. And our guest comes from the outskirts of London, who wasn't born into the world of luxury, but certainly holds his place there now. As the founder of Bluefish, one of the top personal concierge services and an expert marketer within the luxury industry, Steve has been quoted in various publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, London Sunday Times, South China Morning Post, and many more. And he has been on TV, he's been a speaker at a variety of network groups and associations, as well as the Pentagon and at Harvard twice. Could you imagine just for a moment if you would want to sing with your favorite rock star on stage or be serenaded by Andre Bocelli or walk the red carpet at an A-list Oscar party or even imagine getting married at the Vatican? How about diving into the wreck of the Titanic? These are just a few of the highlights of what Steve provides for his clients. He makes the impossible possible. As an entrepreneur in the truest sense of the word, Steve is well regarded within the luxury world for his innovation and his down-to-earth personality, known for his honesty, integrity, and doing things his way. Steve creates experiences for his clients they could never have imagined being possible. Let's jump in to Be Fulfilled right now. Welcome to the show, Steve Sims. How are you, my friend? I'm good, thank you. Fresh and ready. All right. So before we jump into it, everybody heard about you, thebluefish.com. You're working on a new project. You've got the book, bluefishing.com, the domain, Steve D. Sims. But first, before we jump all into anything, what's your definition of success? Oh, that's easy. Being able to go to sleep at night knowing that my family are fed, warm, and safe. I love it, man. What was life like you as a child, real quick? Came from a construction family in East London, left school at the age of 15. First day that I ended school, I was on the building site. So, um, getting up at five o'clock in the morning and going home at eight. So I, I had that as my education growing up. So did you go off to college or was that pretty much it right there for Fuck, you? I had, you know, the funny thing is I never went to college ever until I spoke at Harvard. So I think that, <laughs> I think that does something. <laughs> I love it, man. So how would you describe you? If you had to write an article, give a speech, and nobody did a good job of bringing you on stage, no edification, and you had a couple seconds to kind of describe you to the audience, what would that look like or sound like? I'm an irritating biker that has a greater eye can than an IQ. I like it. I like it a lot. That's right. So you, you had a book last year that you put together. There's some incredible backstories of how this book came to be. We're talking about blue fishing, the art of making things happen. Uh, what was that journey like for you writing this book? It was it was great. You know, like every entrepreneur, we always get caught up in the shiny object syndrome. And I had my concierge firm. I had a few other things going on that were successful. They were comfortable. They were competent. I was enjoying them. They were relaxing. And I'd always been asked to do a book. You know, we've been doing this for 23 years. I'd always been asked to do a book calling out the rich and famous and, you know, how I did. I could never do that. I'd be dead by cocktail hour. But then over the past 10 years, a lot of people have asked me to come and speak at their events and go, hey, we don't want to know how you did this with the Pope or how you did this with Elton John. You know, we want to know what were the stepping stones to get to that relationship? How did you get those people to take you serious? And it became a how-to. 
So with three kids, I suddenly decided that it was time that I wrote a book that would hopefully get people to change the way that they do business and give me back a little bit of the world that I want to live in. So it was one of those things that just felt that it was the right time. Now, I know you had a little bit of work to do with Tucker Max on this. Was this a project <laughs> that Tucker helped you with? Book in a so box? How did that was, come to be? It wasn't. It wasn't, but Tucker did help me. Tucker actually chatted with me and said about the book in the box project, but um, we both knew the same agent. And so he sent an email to the agent. The agent chatted with me in New York. And for all of those people out there going, hey, it's spent years. I've been trying to get a book off the floor. I, you're going to hate me. I literally went to a party on a Thursday and the following Wednesday, I had a contract from Simon Schuster. So I am the epitome of um, lucky bastard. And that's where it took off. So that took no work until the book started. And then it took all my work. It's heavily consuming producing a book. What was the fun part of producing the book? Because I know that a lot of times you put all this heart and soul into it as you're putting chapters together and thinking, I think this is not only just an, just an incredible playbook, you drop a lot of stuff that I've never seen in a book before. A lot of stuff where one piece that I just loved in a really short period of time, you said all these people were successes because they never did what? They never quit. They never stopped. They overcame their obstacles. That goes back to the beginning in time where people show examples. But I loved how you put this together. I thought there was just some really smart things. And a couple of questions that came to my mind. I really want to ask you about why three times. That piece was really, really important when you're interviewing and talking to somebody. How you break stuff down so simple when you're getting into a room and you're about to go and talk about a concept or an idea, how you have sleepless nights. Talk a little bit about your why three times. Can I just go back to the thing that you said about the book being smart? Yes. I, the book's not smart. The book should be irritating because there's no rockets. And I will, I will ask you to argue with me on this point, but there's nothing in that book that's not obvious. And I mentioned to you earlier about me being irritating. I want someone to read that book and go, shit, that's so fucking obvious. Why am I not doing it? And then they go and action it because there's no, hey, if you buy this $2,000 CRM program, there's none of that bollocks. This is a bricklayer from East London that is now working with Elon Musk, Richard Branson, the Pope on very primitive, raw, ugly basics that shockingly, surprisingly, fucking work. And most people overcomplicate. And I'll go into that a little bit further. That book, funnily enough, is my second book. Because when Simon Schuster asked me to write a book, I started the first book and it became nothing more than just a bunch of stories that told everyone how bloody gorgeous I was. And it irritated me that it wasn't actually helping anyone. I woke up, true story, I woke up at about 1.30 in the morning in a sweat because of Bobby. I don't even know anyone called Bobby, but I travel into uh, Terminal 5 in New York a lot and I could pace that out in my dreams and with my eyes shut. I remember Bobby walking through the terminal, walking past that bookstore on the right-hand side, and I remember him seeing my book. And he picked it up and he read it on the plane. Two things. I wanted this to be a flight read. I wanted him to be able to consume it in a flight. So it was simple. I also wanted him to be able to get off that plane and go, right, now I'm going to be better. Now I'm going to be more profitable. Now I'm going to be more accurate. And that was when I literally went to New York, flew to New York, sat down with him, and I went, I want to scrap the book that we've written because it's not right for Bobby. And I told him the story, 
And that's where the whole playbook came up. And that's where the whole tips. And we just unloaded everything into this book on how I do it and just kept it simple. So that was the premise behind actually getting the book to where it is now. I love the way you're saying irritating. And I say smart, right? I think it's smart because it's the stupid stuff we should be doing. Yes. There you go. This is the simple playbook, but this is the stuff that you should say to yourself. Why didn't the fuck? I didn't think about this. This is like, it's not that hard. It's common sense stuff. But the way tactically, I think you put this together is that read. It is that book that we need. I was telling you before this interview today, by the time this interview airs, I've already pulled off an event. By the time I'm done with today's interview, that event's going to be 10 times better because the stuff we're going to be talking about today is going to help me to execute on something that's really not hard, but the way that you think is going to help me to pull off it better because I know now what I'm pulling out of this interview, stuff for me, stuff for the audience, and also hopefully your time's going to be well spent. So that's what my whole kind of idea for our interview today just happened that I was walking into a meeting going, I need to pull off an amazing event with 85 seriously wicked smart entrepreneurs and marketers coming to an event. And I want to do something that everybody else isn't doing and leave them with the idea in the back of the mind. I'm going to be talking about that shit for years because that's something we don't see every single day. How do I do that? Well, guess who I got today on the interview? I got the guy. So we're going to be talking about that. But I really want to know about your why three times. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask for one reason. I think it's easy. It's simple. And it's going to be irritating if I don't get this question answered. All right. Okay. People lie. And it's not because they want to lie, but they're all based on humiliation. You ask someone what they want, nine times out of 10, they will give you a diluted version of it because they don't want you to judge them. They don't want to tell you that they want to go tiptoeing through the tulips or singing a serenade with Andrea Bocelli. They'll say to you, oh, I want to fight the bulls or I want to jump out of a plane. They will try to give you the answer, which they feel will put them in a better light than what you maybe even think of them now. So I get people come to me and they will have this dream and they will come to me and they will dilute it for fear of that humiliation. So you've got to therapy them. You've got to go, well, that's fantastic. Um, Why is that so important to you? And that's the first one. Okay, so if we did this, would you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning? What is the effect you're trying to get out of that? Why are we even doing this? So you get through two or three whys, and you actually start uncovering those layers and getting them to talk to a bit. And if anyone knows Anything about talking to people, if you can gauge the tone, the passion, if you say to someone, hey, do you want to do this? And they go, yeah, I want to do that. I'll take two tickets. But if they turn around and go, oh, I really want to do it. Yeah. Even on the phone, you can tell when they're stood up or when they're sitting down. Play with those hot buttons by constantly asking them, why do you want to do this? Why is this important to you? Why is now the time? This wants to happen. You will get through those layers and you will get to that hot button. When you've got someone's hot button, you can push and prod it till they sell their firstborn to get it. Oh, I love that. No, that's it's easy. When you talk about it like that, I totally get it. In the psychology of understanding people, but I think the hot button is one of those things. All right. So late last year, your book comes out. You're on a heavy PR deal. You're the PR guy. You're the person pushing out, trying to get on everything in the world. In the article... It says, Sims has yet to outsource his public relations. <laughs> yeah. I, want to talk, I want to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> I had this publicist come into my building, well, I don't know, about 12, 15 years ago. And they went, oh, we want to be a publicist. So I said to him, and you're going to find this funny, 
why do you want to do that? And I just, I just quizzed them to find out what was behind it. And they came up with these ideas. And I said, well, okay, I'm paid to get someone in the Vatican. I'm paid to get someone to meet Elon Musk in SpaceX. I get paid when that happens. So tell me, as a publicist, what are you going to guarantee me? What am I paying for? Well, you know, we're going to try and do this, and we're going to let you set you up for this and position it. And I said, well, why don't I do that? And I noticed something very early on. I noticed two things. One, and this is going to shock a lot of people, the media, podcasts, radio, TV, digital, uh, print, any of these things, they actually need you. They've got to be fed 36 hours a day by appropriate, relevant content. They need that content. If you can deliver something to these people that is easy for them to translate into whatever that platform they're using, you've just saved them time and become their new best friend. I've been in Forbes, I think, like 18 times because I provide them easy stuff to translate into whatever platform they do, and it's relevant. Also, nobody can give your voice better than you. So nine times out of 10, you may be scared of it. And I would advise you to either write a pitch or write a profile on you, and then maybe give it to someone else to just check the grammar and stuff, but keep your tone in there. Here's an example. Here's a perfect example of how I did it. So we're giving you an actionable item. Did you hear about that kid in Florida, the one like that $450 million lottery ticket? Yes. Right. Okay. What we did, fuck knows, 10 years ago or something like this, was we put together something like about 15 of the most extreme, expensive experiences you could do. Going to the International Space Station, going down to the Titanic, all of these different experiences we put together. Every time there is anything cool about a lotto winner, a Powerball, Super Bowl, uh, you know, the money ticket, any of the bloody lotteries, we send three or four of those items out to the media. So when this was coming up, when this kid won, we suddenly sent out to about 20 publications, and it's easy. You go on the Rob Report, you look up the masthead, you see who the editors are. They're giving you their emails because they want you to contact them, and you send them an email saying, hey, I believe a 20-something-year-old kid bought this while he has just got over the age to drink. Maybe he would like to purchase the world's most expensive Japanese whiskey or maybe go down to the Titanic. Or may- You give them stuff that they can go, oh, holy crap, what would you do if you were 20 and just won $450 million? How about these ideas as brought to us by Steve Sims from thebluefish.com? You're getting your own media and it's generating. And then what you do is you contact them later. Now, hell, you've just helped them with an article but you contact them and you say, hey, thank you so much, Jamie, for doing that. I had fun with this. I'm going to stay in contact. Anytime you've got a subject matter, just let me know. So you keep that contact. And every time there's something really cool coming out, you just send it out. I'm a great believer that nobody should do your own publicity. All right. That's a good pushback. Let's talk about that for a moment. I know I'm not in your shoes. You said you had been in Forbes many times, and I know this article that came out was the first time. It really talked about your companies. It really talked about you. Right. How, how, how does one who has, maybe this is something that we'll learn in the book, but how does one with very little notoriety get himself 
out there into the world and say, hey, look at what I'm up to. You know, it doesn't matter if it's small, big or an incredible idea. How does one push themselves out there in today's mainstream where everything in your news feed is from all these big publicists and companies trying to get viewers and eyeballs? How do you do something different? Maybe not a viral video because no one can really buy a viral video or maybe you could. But how does one do that today? How does one get really simple publicity? We'll make it an action item for today in the show notes. All right. So here's one of my annoying little quotes. How do you get on the roof? You climb up a ladder. Okay. At the moment, you're seeing me on the top of the roof. I wasn't always in Forbes. I wasn't always in those kind of things. So you contact your local media and you use them as a ladder. Okay. So you'll reach out to your local tribune. You'll reach out to your local school doing a local gala. You'll reach out to local publications. And then with that local publication, you'll go to maybe the town or the country publication, sorry, county publication, and go, hey, these guys did a great article on my new jewelry line or the different kind of plumbing services I offered. I've noticed it's getting really cold at the moment. Here's how to best save your pipes. And you offer them a different angle. But you've got the credibility because you were already in the smaller Tribune. When I, if you go onto my website, and you don't have to go, my, I'm not plugging it, but on my website, it's got all Ivy League media, hasn't it? It's all of the Forbes, Rob Report, Jet Set, you know, everyone, you know, the New York Times, it's got all of those. Originally, it was like the Florida Tribune and the Business Herald and the, the local Gazette. And what happens is, as soon as you start getting these, then the other people look at you as credible now because if you are a fraud, they haven't just been caught out, but so's the other publications. So they've got some kind of comfort factor. Then what happens is the second you get a decent publication, contact the other publications on that level because they don't want to be caught out. And you can contact them and go, hey, I did a great article in the New York Times and you may be speaking to the LA Times and you can go, but you know they never delved into this area. I wondered if that would be of interest to you. So you're now giving them a fresh angle on something that's already been well-received in a different publication. And as you climb up that ladder, here is where it's horrible. You thank the people that helped you, because one thing, journalists move between different publications. Remember that. Send them a box of chocolates or some flowers afterwards, buy them a beer, never a bad idea. But then as your media page starts building up, sadly, got to be done, those little publications get pushed off the bottom. So when you get the Worth report, all of a sudden, CNN, CNBC, NBC, they want to talk to you because you were in the Rob Report or Worth magazine. And so you constantly are climbing up that ladder till at the end of the time, you're on the roof and you can't even see the bottom of the ladder. That's easy. I get it now. Totally. Thank you for making it really small for me so I could take But isn't it, it simple? Isn't yeah. it simple? And you could look at the, like the Huffington Post has just changed, but Forbes have a lot of contributors. Inc. Magazine have a lot of contributors. Entrepreneur Magazine. There's a lot of online publications that are looking for blogs. You could actually go on Fiverr, and I've done this. If anyone's got an email from me, they know I can't spell for shit. I will record, I will record a conversation on, you know, the hottest place in Tel Aviv or the new clubs in Los Angeles. I will send it to one of my subscribers in Fiverr that I spend $5 on, they will edit it into a format, into a Word document, send it back to me, and I will use that as a contributing blog to an article. That's genius. And it's, it's cost me five bucks. Well, you know, I mentioned it small because it's like the old saying, you know, you don't, you don't take the big bite out of the elf at all at one time, right? You don't no. just try to... 
you take a little piece here by bit by bit and eventually you get the whole elephant. So one of the questions that I had for you today was, you know, Forbes has done a, an amazing job. I was reading some of the articles, but I like the one about you. What did that article do for you last year and your brand and you personally? The Steve D. Sims brand, not the Bluefish brand, not the book, <laughs> you brand. Yeah, it was, well, it was that good. I use it as one of the links on the bottom of my, uh, my um, signatures now. It rattled a lot of people because nine times out of 10, and I, I believe we spoke earlier, this is an audio only podcast, correct? Yeah. So they can't see that I actually look like Hugh Grant and Brad Pitt mixed. But I'm an ugly fucker. It's as simple as that. So when that article came out, and a lot of people read it because it had, you know, Elon Musk and Andre Bocelli and Richard Branson and a few other people, you know, a few other up and comers. And of course they got to read that article and then see pictures of basically me and was kind of like, what the hell's going on here? And it raised a lot of curiosity. So that was one of the first major articles. And of course Forbes can't get much bigger, but that was one of the first major articles that came out that did an expose on the, on the man behind. And it got me more consulting gigs. It got me a lot more speaking gigs. Anyone that I'd worked with in the past reached out to me because it raised my credibility. And let's be honest, at the end of the day, media, media is great, but if you don't monetize it or use it, then it's just an ego rub and there's no value to that whatsoever. So whenever you're putting media out, you want to first of all ask yourself, is this to, to rub my own bits? Is this for me to actually make money? Is this for me to raise credibility? Know what reason you're giving yourself. That will give you the best tone on the media you're putting out there. And when I did that interview, it was a credibility game. That's what I went for. I went for, will this give me credibility by revealing who I am and who I work with? And it did. Yeah, I loved it. And I love the fact that you're like, hey, it was a bunch of pictures about me. you know. And then there's a picture of you with the dog. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I love that we got a chance to see the other side because I got to imagine in your life and you, all the, the celebrities you get a chance to work with and all the ideas you get to come up with and create and the experiences. I mean, I think that's what we're really after in life is a bunch of experiences and having the best time of our life. I love the media piece. So I, I think there's a lot of stuff they can grab from there. What's an experience that you've created for somebody else that you didn't go on, but you said to yourself, man, I'd love, I would have loved to do that. That would have been a lot of fun. There's only, for a start, the answer should be there isn't any. Because the beauty of my position now is that when something comes along that kind of tingles, I go, oh, I'm going to handle that. And I jump on board. So I have been around the world, 780 with Andrea Bocelli, doing birthday parties in Venice with Tony Braxton, walking through SpaceX with Elon Musk. So I'm very fortunate to have done all of those things. On my wall in my office, I have a signed portrait of Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady. And she was one of those people in my life that I thought, I'd like to have a cup of tea with her. You know, I'd like everyone, everyone basically crapped on her and thought that she would be nothing for so many reasons. And she was the Iron Lady. I would have loved to have done that. I actually, when I was in Palm Beach, I got an invite to go to London to actually meet her and have a cup of tea. And I was like, oh, brilliant. I couldn't make it. And she died shortly after that. So that's the only time that I've ever missed out on an opportunity that uh, I should have grabbed with both hands. All right. So, you know, it's, I was trying to figure out questions to get to you today that weren't like everybody else's questions. And what I play is a game <laughs> to the end of my show 
called the fulfillment round where I just ask you a bunch of questions. I have no right or wrongs. There's no phone of friends. You can make the shit up. I really don't care. It's for us to just get to know you a little bit better. What I want to do is we're climbing up kind of success mountain. I want to ask you about your worst day in your career as kind of being this person putting big experiences together. You you kind of can relate to it, maybe pull with baby filling in the blank name. What's the worst experience you've had so far in business? I lost me. Very easy answer. Uh, about five years into my industry of becoming this concierge. Bearing in mind, I started off as a doorman on a nightclub. And like you know, four or five years later, I was now rolling around with some of the biggest events in the planet. And I was living in Asia. I did what all entrepreneurs do. As soon as we try to monetize something, we screw it up. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm now working with a lot of rich and powerful people. And I'm turning up on the back of a dirty motorcycle in a black T-shirt and jeans. They can't take me seriously, surely. So I went out, took all my earrings out, started wearing suits, bought a car, made a lot more clients, made a lot more money, resonated with none of them. I actually became very upset and I couldn't work out why because at that time I related success to digits in a bank account. It wasn't until luckily my wife actually showed me a picture of me at a party and I looked at this party in Monaco and realized it wasn't me. It was a guy in a suit leaning up against a car it wasn't me. I had lost myself. Thankfully, we um, you know, put the suits away, sold the car. I'm back rolling around ugly on a motorcycle in a black T-shirt and jeans. That was actually about a three-year process of losing myself. So I urge you to stay you. Everyone wants a unique brand. You're already unique. Don't sell out. Stay you. And on top of that, here's the big one. It takes zero effort to be you. All right. So what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break with Steve D. Sims, and we'll be right back on the Be Fulfilled Show. Are you suffering from marketing dysfunction? Are you not able to perform online as well as you could when you were younger? Unable to keep up with the intimate demands of buying product, running offers, and shipping items to your customers? Say hello to Ship Offers, clinically proven to enhance the growth and longevity of your business. Get some today at shipoffers.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the Be Fulfilled Show, the real stories behind success. Today, we are joined by Steve Sims' new book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Also, the incredible company, thebluefish.com. And you are working on something else, a new project. It's the Steve D. Sims brand, like you, just what you were talking about before we went to break. Talk a little bit about what you're working on. Well, I've always done consulting for luxury brands where they've gone, hey, I've got these jewelry line, you know, how do we get out to the right market? How do we do the tone, the message? And since the Steve D. Sims has kind of come out more and more over the years, I've had entrepreneurs coming to me going, hey, I've got a plumbing industry. How do I get more clients for plumbing? How do I market my car leasing company? How do I start doing it? And start asking me to consult for their entrepreneurs and their solopreneurs. So believe it or not, being challenged to walk the white carpet with Elton John was cool. 20 times later, not so cool. Now these new challenges with entrepreneurs, and the daft thing is 90% of the time, the first thing you got to do is get them out of the way of it. But it's real fun now consulting, nurturing, teaching new entrepreneurs how to do stuff. And I say new because let's be, let's be honest, you never stop developing your company when you're an entrepreneur. You're always changing it. You're always adapting it. So you're always a new entrepreneur. So what are we looking forward to with the Steve D. Sims? What, is that, what does that look like for the next six months, 10 months? What are you working on? Well, we are getting pretty close to maxing out on consulting clients. We're actually building up a platform now that uh, you're going to be able to join a membership program where you're going to get live webinars, 
based on how the market, brand, relationships, negotiation, communicating, which is the big one. So there's going to be a membership platform and there's going to be uh, platforms on there for you to get involved in. All right. So what I would like to do with you is have some fun and bring you into the fulfillment round. Like I said, there's no right or wrong. Just get to know you a little bit better. Do it. Uh, You and your wife hanging out. What do you do for fun? Barbecue. We don't go out very often. We're actually very, very boring people. We love to barbecue, play with the dogs and drink too much in the backyard. All right. What, what's on the Barbie? What would you be cooking? Uh, if my wife has her way, it's going to be a lot of roasted vegetables. If I have my way, it's going to be a beautiful eight-ounce steak or tomahawk. All right. I, oh, I love tomahawks. Favorite place you visited on all of your experiences? In the water, in space, where has it been? Uh, there's two that are our joint, Florence and Tokyo. Florence and Tokyo. All right. Who's to play you in a movie? A Hollywood called. They said, you know what? We've seen all of these things you've been doing, Steve. All of these articles, all of the books, everything that you've done. You know, I've seen you with the top people in the world, but we need to cast you. We know you're too busy. You're not willing to give up everything you're doing. Who would play you in a movie? Oh, jeepers. Um, it would probably be a mixture. We'd have to somehow make them, but it would be Jack Black and Stone Cold Steve Austin together. I think that's why. That is a good combination. I can. It is. I totally can get that. <laughs> so one thing that you said that I thought was really fascinating is I lost myself in my entrepreneur journey. I mean, I, I went through a five, six year kind of trying to figure out who I was. When you came back and you kind of put back on the outfits that you love, the bike that you love to ride, the things with your girl on the back, what was that like for you? When you found you again, what was some of those early conversations you were having yourself? Like, where the fuck was this all the time? Like, tell me what that sounded like. Yeah, it was very refreshing. I lost a lot of clients. And so money was going down. But you know, I wasn't happier than then. It was just this moment where I was just being me. People were like, yeah, Steve, uh, we're not sure to continue with you. And I'd be like, that's fine. No problems. Have a nice day. It was so refreshing. I wasn't having to live anyone else. And anyone out there must realize by now, playing somebody else to appeal to somebody else's perception of you, how the hell can you win at that mathematical riddle? You can't. It takes a lot of effort. So being you, so breezy, so easy. And no one expects anything other than you. So I love it. Very refreshing, very revealing. It's like you're walking around naked. <laughs> right. Although I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not going to go there. All right. So, uh, favorite genre of music. What do you like to tune into when you're listening to music in the backyard with your wife? You're, she's eating vegetables. You're having a tomahawk. It's on the Barbie. What do you enjoy listening to? I shuffle. I don't think there's a single album I can listen to all the way through. So I hope there's going to be a bit of a heavy rap followed by Andrea Bocelli with a bit of piano from Elton with a bit of pole jam following that and then finishing off with some good solid queen. So I do like the variety. Did you hear Ed Sheeran and Andre Bocelli? Did you hear their kind of mixed together? Yeah, it was at uh, Andrea's house in Florence. I actually, uh, a friend of mine was there and sent me a little video of them doing it, but it's a very, it's a very beautiful, I'm not quite sure Ed Sheeran sang as well as I did with Andrea, but gladly there's no video of me doing it. (laughs) I love it. You know, Steve, I just got to tell you, it's really refreshing. I get a lot of guests. I've talked to a lot of people over the years. Just love. I love your personality. I love the fact that you came on and you said you were irritating in the beginning. 
I don't think you really <laughs> what I think you really are is just someone who's seen enough to know, like, why not be yourself? Have some fun along the journey. You know what? If a simple guy like you, formal education is having the opportunity to speak at Harvard. If that's really what it is along the way, you took the book, you took the process, all the successes that you've had. You're a very humble person. And I love that about you. I love a fact that you have a way of being. That is refreshing. And I wish more people would understand, cut through all the tough guy, the earrings and the motorcycle and all that to get to know you got a soul and you have a heart and you care and you really want to make a difference in the world. And I can get that listening to you today, can read that through your publications and know deep down inside that you want to challenge yourself. You're up for a challenge because you want to challenge the way people think. So I just want to say thank you for coming on the show today. I can only say thank you for that. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're just a kind-hearted soul, and uh, I love the fact that I got a chance to talk to you months ago. I reached out back to you. You're like, whatever you need, mate, let's do it. And for me today, I'm about to board a plane and go where I believe you were from, London. I'll be landing in London <laughs> tomorrow. So I just want to say thanks again, brother. It's been awesome, and I can't wait to personally meet you and uh, just to give you a big hug and say thanks. Cheers, bud. Look forward to it. All right. So people want to know, stevedsims.com. Anything else they need to know? Um, don't get on there if you're willing to sit on your ass and not do anything. If you're wanting to actually get better, you know, reach out to me. All right. That is it. That is today's guest. And uh, my name is Tony Grebmeyer. And until next time, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, make today the best day of your life. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at drainersanddrivers.com and download my free mini course designed to give you more clarity and freedom in your day. It might just change your life forever. Forever.